Hey friends, it's Fred Greenhalgh, producer here at Realm. A new episode of Ominous Thrill is ready for your ears. It's Advice After Dark. Late night radio host Belladonna delivers extreme advice to the delighted horror of her audience until a creepy listener forces her to confront the brutal consequences of her show. Here's a preview. Welcome to my live stream, Bella. Say hello to everyone. What do you want? Click the link. Watch along. I'm not clicking links from psychos. You put that trash on the radio every night and I'm the psycho. You sound like you need help. I'm not one of your fake callers. My show is very, very real. Do you want to know what it's called? No, I don't. It's called Belladonna Gets What's Coming. Starring you. What? It's really starring me, but it's all about you. And you'd be surprised how many people want to watch you get what's coming. I called the police. They'll be here any minute. Yeah, well, we should be done before they get here. Find Ominous Thrill out now, everywhere you listen. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Realm presents Remade, Season 2, Episode 3. The woods had never felt safe to Saya. And safe seemed like a foreign concept these days anyway like something she'd never truly experience again. But this, Jingwei showing up out of the rustling green trees, without any memory of the rest of them, and a caretaker in tow? A caretaker she called Sparky, and seemed to actively like. This made every part of their wobbly new reality even shakier, as far as Seiya was concerned. And Inez, lacking their history with a Jingwei, even if not this Jingwei, had already decided she wanted no part of it. She is a traitor, Inez said, when no one chimed in to agree with her sentiments about punishing Jingwei. You all know I'm right, so what do we do with her? The irony. After the split with the others, their group had made camp in a largish, deep cave known as Devil's Hole, on the far side of Niagara Falls. Saya had visited it with her family once, and been relieved to find Devil's Hole still existed, in pretty much the same condition as it had back then. Their stated objective was to rest up and recover. The unstated one, to somehow get over what had happened to poor Teddy. Any illusion of quiet and calm they'd found vanished with the appearance of this new Jingwei. And, given her caretaker buddy, any chance Inez would stop reliving Teddy's death. She hadn't been herself since Arcadia. I already told you. Jingwei's face tightened with frustration. We're no threat to you, especially not Sparky. Hiram cleared his throat. He stood in a loose clump with Alex, Amelia, and Sebastian. She isn't wrong. They haven't done anything to us. Tell that to my ankle, Inez said, and punctuated it with a wince. A hand went down toward her ankle as she balanced on her other leg. Saya moved closer to support her and Inez shrugged her off, hopping away. Apparently, she still wouldn't accept the smallest help from anyone, Saya included. 
par for the course of late. May frowned. Maybe we should go back to camp and talk. You mean our camp? Inez challenged her. No freaking way. We're not bringing a caretaker sympathizer and a caretaker to our camp. We might as well just broadcast the location to every caretaker on the planet. Gabe said, she has a point. Saya watched Inez's shoulders square and knew she'd dig in on this now that people were agreeing with her. And even though seeing Jingwei had initially flooded Saya with joy, Inez wasn't wrong about everything. They couldn't trust her like they would have the old Jingwei. Inez is right, Saya said, and ignored Mei rolling her eyes. We need a lot more information before we reveal where we're staying to Jingwei and, um, Sparky. But I agree with Hiram. We can't just abandon them either. She hesitated. Or punish them when they haven't done anything yet. Inez crossed her arms over her chest. What are you proposing then? Saya's eyes swept the forest. What was she proposing? Something that would keep them from bickering or sniping at one another, if such an option existed. Something that would keep everyone alive, though she was even less sure that option existed. If she's sticking around, we need answers, Inez said. How did you find us? She asked, turning to Jingwei. Jingwei's eyes narrowed. Saya recognized it as the old Jingwei's I'm thinking expression. Chill fingers danced up Saya's spine at the implication hidden in Inez's question and the lack of immediate response. Had Jingwei run into the rest of their friends? She hadn't considered that. Was that how she'd found them? And if so, then where were they? Before they split up, they'd set a rendezvous point on the map Arcadia had given them, a spot about an hour's walk away from the current camp, over at Niagara Falls, which had turned out to be Niagara Fall, singular now. One massive spill of water, unmistakably, unmissably huge. If the others made it to Sanctuary and found a welcome party, they'd return for them. Or so the plan said. Saya wondered every day whether they'd see their friends again, and whether the split had been a mistake. She suspected they all did. Well, all of them except Inez, who had been a big advocate for setting up a camp to recuperate. She'd been so angry at Holden so grief-stricken over Teddy. She'd refused to entertain the idea that Arcadia might really be sending them somewhere good. None of that had changed. One of the group made the trek to the designated meeting area a couple times a week to check for any sign of good news on the horizon. Nothing, yet. Well, Inez prompted. We were running from bad keepers. Jingwei glanced nervously toward the woods, where her pet caretaker had trundled off on command. That's who Sparky rescued me from. I call them unbuilders. We weren't looking for anyone as far as I know. I don't know where we were going. You're the first people I've seen since they brought me back. Saya believed her, though she couldn't say why. Phew, maybe the others were safely at Sanctuary by now. Are you sure that thing hasn't just been steering you, and now all of us, into a trap? Inez asked. Couldn't it tell its friends right where we are, and vice versa? We haven't seen any caretakers since we've been here, Gabe said, though a note of doubt crept in. Sparky wouldn't do that, Jingwei said. Uh-huh, Inez said. And he doesn't have friends left. 
All the other helpful keepers from the space station are dead. He's been protecting me. Jingwei sported the same red jumpsuits they'd all worn at first. Well, except for Inez, since where she and Teddy started out had left her with a cheerleading uniform. The outfit served as an all-too-clear reminder of the tragedy that happened right after they'd all arrived in the future. I'm sorry I don't remember any of you, Jingwei said, holding out her hands in a plea. That was me, but not me. A different version of me, I guess. I'm just glad I'm alive. But Sparky is my friend. You guys have one another. Sparky is all I have. He wouldn't hurt you. Saya could see the circles of debate forming. They would go around and around and around about this, while Inez stood on a foot that must be killing her. That, at least, Saya could fix. Let's sit down. Saya caught May's eye, flicked hers to Inez's ankle, and slowly eased down in the leaves. May followed suit, and then so did Inez, without realizing Saya had stage-managed her. Jingwei and the others did the same. Jingwei, put yourself in our place, Saya said. Some of us saw you die here. You were dead. And now here you are, another you, telling us this caretaker is your friend and that it remade you. Again. We've only known bad caretakers. You're unbuilders. May raised a hand. Inez attacked, uh, Sparky, not the other way around. I'm not sure what I believe, but like Jingwei said, if they wanted to hurt us, they would have already, wouldn't they? Inez shrugged. I don't really know how to think like a murdering robot. Jingwei gave her a long, cool look. Me either, she said. So much for holding off the bickering. The two of them stared at each other in a clash of wills. Saya knew Inez wasn't the backing-off type. The first Jingwei hadn't been either. And May was the third hard-headed variable in the mix. Saya looked around the forest again. They were surrounded by plenty of land. She tried to come up with the option Holden would have suggested if he'd been here. More and more, she missed having him around. To her surprise, thinking like Holden worked. Look, she said, playing peacemaker. Let's compromise. Why don't we make a camp for Jingwei and Sparky somewhere else? That will give us a place to talk. Neutral ground. They'll promise not to look for our actual camp, and we'll know we can trust them. Start to trust them, Inez muttered. And that's a stretch. It'll be too late if they break their word. They'll be at our doorstep. You know what happened. Her voice broke a little. To Teddy, she meant. She hadn't shed a single tear where anyone else could see. Saya had been watching. She suspected Inez refused to let herself cry. Where should we set up camp for them? Gabe asked. Somewhere far from us, Inez said, then raised her eyebrows. I know a place. Is that okay with you? Saya asked Jingwei. I guess so. She stood up and called out, Sparky, follow us. Metallic claws and a spider-like body as broad as a tree trunk emerged from foliage a dozen feet away, where it had apparently been waiting since Jingwei dismissed it so they could talk. The caretaker hobbled a little, where Inez had chopped into one of its limbs that had been made from wood instead of metal. Saya had to summon all the strength of will inside her not to run at the sight of it. 
Inez stood and clutched the arm she'd stripped off the caretaker that had killed Teddy. It had fast become her security weapon. Saya had seen behavior like Inez's before, from her dad. She sensed Inez considering whether to launch herself at Sparky again. Inez, she said, if you won't lean on me, maybe use that as a walking stick? Inez blinked at her, then at the arm. I can walk, she said, and hobbled forward. She raised her voice so everyone could hear. Probable traitors, right this way. But can I make the siren go? Just once? Saya asked. She suspected that, even if her dad wouldn't indulge her, his partner, Robbie, probably would. We're on duty, her dad said, from behind the wheel of the police car. You promise to behave if we let you ride along tonight. Uncle Robbie, practically a member of their family, looked through the grill into the back seat and gave her a wink. I'll let you do it later. Right now, you're a prisoner, her dad joked. Prisoners don't get to turn on the siren or lights. Don't encourage her, Rob. Thank you, Uncle Robbie, Saya said, smiling her best smile. How could I say no to that sweet face? He asked her dad. How can you say no to that sweet face? Her dad grunted in agreement and put the car in drive. It can be hard, and she knows it. She played you, soft touch. Hey, I don't have a girl of my own to spoil yet, so my godchild gets it all. Saya kicked her legs in the back seat, excited as they pulled away from the curb. She had finally convinced her dad that letting her come along for a ride-along was a good idea. Cops allowed them for journalists or child delinquents in need of scaring straight, so she knew it was possible. But she also knew he'd only agreed because it was for a school report. Everyone in her sixth grade class had to do one about a parent or family member's job. Her mom worked at a bank, but her dad was a cop. Saya could just imagine how jealous everyone would be when she read her report about this out loud. Banks were boring, boring a robbery or something like that, which never happened in their town. Police most definitely were not. Or not only boring anyway. Touring the station hadn't been that thrilling, until Saya imagined every ringing phone being someone calling in with a hot tip or desperately needing help. Then it got better. But she was still glad to be out in the car now, where something might happen that would make the other kids' jaws drop. What do you think? Should we set up a speed trap? Her dad asked. Her eyes went wide. Speed traps sounded cool. Let's check out the highway around 34, Uncle Robbie said. See if we can bring in some drunk drivers. Sounds good, her dad said. Remember, kitten. You have to listen to whatever we tell you tonight. Our job can be unpredictable. Justice is necessary. And well, while peace is what we bring, it's not always what we find, Uncle Robbie chimed in, clearly having heard this before. Saya wrote this down in her notes. Uncle Robbie and her dad have been partners for ages. He was younger than her dad, and his family was all back in Wisconsin, but he never talked about them. So Saya's family adopted him. He came over for the big family dinner at her grandma's after church every Sunday, with her dad's family, and to their weeknight dinners a couple of times a week. Her mom always made him have dessert, saying he was too thin. Saya got to have dessert only on special occasions. As her dad steered them onto the on-ramp for the highway, he revved the engine. 
He must be breaking the speed limit. Are you sure we can't turn the sirens on? She asked, hoping to perfect the moment. It'd be just like a movie. Yeah, John, why don't you flip the sirens? Uncle Robbie said. Her dad snorted. Boy, she has you wrapped around her little finger. I'm not going to. But then he reached over, and both the sirens and lights blared to life. Saya sat up straighter, leaning forward with her fingers on the grill. Yay! Her dad said, it's not for you. Then what is it? She asked, eager, spotting taillights ahead. Someone going way too fast, her dad answered. Not just too fast. The low red car in front of them swerved, and only when they were right on its bumper did it finally slow and ease over to the side. Her heart pounded, seemingly in time to the strobe of the lights. Her dad left them on but killed the siren, and Saya's breathing sounded loud in the car. What if you have to arrest him? She asked. Her dad ignored her, reading the license plate into the radio, saying it was a traffic stop. Then he was stepping out of the car, and so was Uncle Robbie. Are you going to put him in here with me? She asked in a small voice. Robbie leaned in the door. Don't worry, honey. If we bring him in, we'll call for another unit to pick him up. We'll be right back. I won't let anything scary happen, I promise. He shut the door. Uncle Robbie and her dad walked over to the red car, and her dad knocked on the driver's window and shone a flashlight in. Uncle Robbie was busy checking out the car itself, walking around it slowly. The car's window went down, and Saya strained to see everything that was happening. It must be kind of terrifying to walk up to a stranger's car like that. She'd never really thought about it before. Her dad must have to do a whole list of scary things at his job. Of course, getting pulled over was probably equally scary for the person in the car, even if it was his own fault for driving so crazy. Her dad motioned for the guy to get out. Saya had gathered enough from hearing stories at the dinner table to know that was hardly ever a good sign. This guy was probably going in. She wondered if he was a drunk driver. When he stepped out, she saw that he was white, with a goatee, and wearing a baggy suit. Her dad took a step back and said something to him. He probably told the guy to put his hands up, she guessed. Then her dad's hand was on his gun at his side. She couldn't hear, but she could see his lips moving, giving the guy some order. Even from this distance, she could see the guy's eyes were wild. The whites of them were visible. He raised his hand, and there was something in it. Something extended at her dad. A handgun. He waved his arm, gesturing around in the air with it. Her heart stopped. Her hands pressed against the grill. No she said. No. She'd wanted excitement, but this was too much. Her dad pulled his weapon, fast. He looked over at the car, clearly worrying about her, just as Uncle Robbie dove forward, and a loud bang sounded. And then her father tackled the man and wrestled cuffs onto him. Uncle Robbie lay on the ground, unmoving. He didn't move again not even when the ambulance came, and the paramedics shocked him with paddles. There was blood on the pavement when they lifted him. Saya would never forget what it looked like. She would never forget her dad finally letting her out of the car and folding her in his arms while she sobbed. Eventually, 
He guided her into the front seat, Uncle Robbie's seat, and drove them home. Saya, tears streaming down her cheeks again, told him. He promised nothing scary would happen. Her dad hadn't cried at all. She understood. His sorrow ran so deep that bringing it to the surface would have hurt even more. He wasn't ready. He felt guilty, just like Saya did. They both knew the truth. Uncle Robbie had died to keep the two of them safe. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Their trek through the forest took place with gritted teeth and little talk. Saya winced for Inez's every hobbling step. Her face had taken on a grim set, but she still refused any help. Hiram was the only one who didn't get the silence memo. You've been with it this whole time, he asked, his voice quiet and shy. With Sparky? Yeah. Since we left the lab where I woke up, Jingwei said. Sparky protected me. He's not your enemy. You'll see. Mei couldn't stop glancing at Jingwei. Half wary, half in awe. Saya could relate. It was one thing to know you died in your previous life, or at least been brought here right at the moment of death. It was another to see someone who'd done that, and then died again, show up in a whole new body, with no memory of the first time around. For that matter, how did they know this new Jingwei had the kind of memories they did of their lives before? Or that any of them hadn't been through the same thing? What if they were all on their third, or fourth, or hundredth spin in the future? 
some horrible loop. Thinking about it made Seiya's head hurt. You do remember things, though? Seiya asked, hoping it would confirm that Jingwei was more like them than different. From when you were alive before. Jingwei nodded. We all died there, right? We all have our memories. We all miss it. The people we knew. Seiya pictured her parents. And then, without meaning to, Holden. I do. Enough chit-chat, Inez barked, a rasp in her voice. Seiya knew Inez must be thinking of Teddy again. They had people to miss from their old lives, and now these new ones. We're here. Inez stepped to one side of some scrubby underbrush, surrounded by trees. A hillside curved up in front of them. It wasn't an inviting campsite, but it was a long way from theirs. Seiya had never seen this area before. You want us to sleep on a slope? Jingwei frowned. I mean, I could probably rig something up. Good, Inez said. Hiram shot her a disappointed look. Is it okay, safety-wise, leaving them out here alone? Sebastian asked. He had on some of the eyeliner that he and Amelia had brought from Arcadia. Seiya noticed now that they were holding hands. Interesting. Inez snorted. But surprisingly, it was May who spoke up this time. She has a caretaker to look after her. We're the ones who need protecting, Inez said. Jingwei ignored this, but glanced at Sparky, and Seiya wondered if she was communicating with the robot right then. Whatever the case, the caretaker hung back, keeping its distance. This will be fine, she said. Thank you. She turned back to face them all, but it was Inez she spoke to. I'm not your enemy either. Inez bit her lip. Then she asked, Look, when they brought you back, are you sure you're the only one? Jingwei's brow furrowed. What do you mean? Inez pressed on. Would it be possible to bring someone else back? There was no one else there? Seiya put her hand on Inez's arm. You asked already. Maybe she didn't know the names, Inez said her lips pressing tightly together. I didn't see anyone else, Jingwei said. Her forehead wrinkled. There aren't any copies of you guys, if that's what you mean. Just me. I'm not asking about copies of me, Inez said. Of us? Not exactly. I want to know if maybe... Inez shook her head. She couldn't say his name. You mean Teddy, Gabe said. You're asking if there's a copy of him out there? Or if it's possible to make one? Inez didn't want to talk about this. That much was plain. But it seemed she couldn't not ask either. Seiya ached for her. I, we, lost a friend a few weeks ago, Inez said. Could these caretakers you claim are good bring him back? Could Sparky? Jingwei stayed solemn as she shook her head. I'm sorry about your friend. The keepers who could, they're gone now. They're the ones who died. Sparky doesn't... That part of their lab, it wasn't what Sparky worked on. And it's gone now, too. The bad keepers destroyed it. Okay, got it. For the record, I still consider all caretakers bad, Inez said. Caretakers, then, Jingwei said. But the keepers aren't bad. Sorry if I don't take your word for it. Inez whirled around and hobbled away. 
Where are you going? May called. To camp. Let the whiz kid get settled. We'll come back later. Inez paused and sighed, though she didn't bother looking at them. If that's all right with everyone. They were supposed to make decisions as a group. That was what had driven them to split up with the others in the first place. Holden making the call to shut off Arcadia without consulting anyone, and the messy results. Inez could be bossy, but she would never compromise on her principles. It was one of the things Saya liked best about her. Saya nodded so the others could see, and put her hands in a prayer position, pleading with them to agree. Inez would be hurting in more ways than one after having discussed Teddy, even in a veiled way. All right, May said. Then quieter to Saya. Go talk to her. She has to get past this somehow. It's not good for her. Or for anyone. We need her back. Now. Saya nodded again, realizing that Jingwei watched all this with rapt attention. She didn't know if Jingwei was dangerous or not, but she didn't like Inez's vulnerabilities being on display to a stranger. Especially when Inez never openly acknowledged having any. Okay, I'll catch up with her. You guys will come along behind us? All right, May said. I'm sure Gabe knows the way. Saya wove through the trees in the direction Inez had gone. She knew what her dad would have said, that he'd had it with Inez's attitude. She'd basically been shutting everyone out since they'd settled in here, but no one more so than Saya. That was one reason Saya had volunteered to go out on patrol with her in the first place. And then they'd encountered Jingwei and Sparky. But although Inez had been distant, she still wore the cross necklace Saya had given her for Christmas. That must mean something. Loss might happen quickly, but coming to terms with it could slow time to a crawl. Saya knew that, intimately. Inez had slowed down once she'd gotten out of sight of everyone, which meant that Saya caught her easily after a minute of tromping through the woods. She scooped her arm under Inez's free one. The other still clutched the caretaker arm. What are you doing? Inez said. I'm helping you, so stop being a jerk, Saya answered. Let's get back to camp so you can take the weight off your ankle, and we can see how much worse you've made it. You do know that walking on a sprain is not exactly recommended, right? I'll be fine, Inez said, her voice hoarse. Besides, who wants to hang out with a jerk? Don't you want to catch up with your old pal and her murder bot? This idiot likes this jerk, Saya answered. And yes, I do want to hear what she has to say, but I'm on your side, Inez. Inez relaxed a little, leaning more on Saya. Finally. What you asked back there? That must have been hard, Saya said. The sound of water got closer as they approached a cliff that overlooked a river. It was a stupid thing to ask, I'm not thinking straight, Inez said. I need to get my head back on right. I don't think it was stupid. But, um, I agree with the head part, Saya said. Maybe if you talked about it? With me? Inez stiffened against Saya. It. The word was flat. What happened to Teddy? There's nothing to discuss. I didn't look out for him well enough. I let it happen, Inez said. But I just... I don't understand. Why does Jingwei get a second chance, but not Teddy? So, yeah, I'm a terrible person. I let my friend die, 
and for a few seconds there, I thought maybe I could get him back. I can't. End of story. I don't think so. Saya stepped in front of Inez, forcing the other girl to face her. Inez stopped short to keep from bumping into her. The story's still going, Saya said quietly. Leave it alone, Inez said, before she moved around Saya. Sorry, I can't do that, Saya said, following. Saya, I can't afford to be distracted. Not again. Our lives depend on it. You're being an ass, Saya said, which was what she felt certain Inez would tell her if the situation were reversed. Now you understand me. God, stop it, Saya said. Just stop. We're all worried about you. We all care about you. We all lost Teddy, too. People aren't distractions. No, Inez said. But caring about them too much sure is. Saya felt like she'd been punched in the heart. And then Inez made it worse. Stopping, she leaned the caretaker arm against a tree trunk and then reached behind her neck. Her face expressionless, she took off the little golden cross necklace and held it out to Saya. It dangled between them like a divider of the past and the future. Saya had no choice but to take it. Inez turned and hobbled ahead through the trees. Saya followed her all the way back to their camp, but at a distance. She understood what Inez was doing. She even understood why. That it was the pain and blame she directed at herself for Teddy's death, making her act this way. Still, the fact remained that Inez had pushed her away again. And this time, it had worked. Saya saw everything through a fog on the drive with her mom to the cemetery. The sheer size of the outpouring of grief over Robbie's death in the line of duty made the sadness of the people who'd known him feel more intimate, lonelier. The world mourned Robbie as an officer, but she mourned him as Uncle Robbie. She clung to her memories of him. Others described his bravery and heroism every day. How much longer his career should have been. But Saya mostly couldn't believe he'd never grin at her again. That he'd never bring her a chocolate milkshake as a pre-dinner special treat again, even though her mom would give him a hard time about it. The funeral had already been an all-day affair. The mayor of their town, the police captain, a distant cousin of Robbie's Saya had never heard of, and Saya's father had all spoken at the nearly two-hour-long service, along with two different preachers. The crowd had been standing room only, filled, of course, with police in uniform, as well as lots of community folks. The caravan to the gravesite was a seemingly unending line of police cars and mourners. The man who'd shot Uncle Robbie was a club owner, who was into things no one would talk about in front of Saya. All they'd tell her was that he was going to jail for a long time. Their police force was relatively small, but officers from nearby towns and across the state had shown up. Some volunteered as part of the honor guard, and others had been performing casket watch 24-7 for the last few days. Saya's dad was a pallbearer, so he was in a separate car. There was a dish filled with halva in the back to take to a big potluck at the captain's afterward. A Persian sweet Saya liked, but which her mother only made for funerals. She wondered if she'd even be able to stomach it today. Uncle Robbie would have loved it. Is dad going to be all right? Saya asked. Her mother didn't respond right away. 
She pursed her lips, thoughtful, fingers tightening on the steering wheel. Mascara dotted her cheek beneath the eye Saya could see. How could I have let that happen? With Saya in the car? He'd said to her mom the night before, while Saya had eavesdropped on the stairs, peeking through the railing. I know, she'd said, but she's a strong girl. He put his head in his hands. Do you think I was distracted? Is that why it happened? Shh, her mom had replied, and made the same comforting noises she made when Saya was distressed. Her dad still hadn't cried, so far as she knew. Saya had cried enough for both of them, and so had her mom. But it worried Saya. As much as she loved Uncle Robbie, she knew her dad loved him more. Her dad had been in the car with him every day. They were partners. They had called each other brother, and she knew they'd meant it. Her mother stayed silent while she parked the car. They had a place near the front. Finally, she turned to look at Saya. Dad will be okay. He has us, so he'll have to be, her mom said. And repeating a common sentiment from the past week, she added, I'm so sorry you had to see it happen. Saya was sorry too. Would she ever be able to close her eyes and not imagine it? Would she ever be able to not imagine her dad in place of Uncle Robbie every time he left for work? But those things were crowded out by concern for her dad. What must he see that he wished he could stop picturing? She and her mom waited until the entire procession had arrived before they got out of the car. The day was a spring dream. The tombstone surrounded by green grass and blooming flowers and pale blue sky. Bagpipers struck up Amazing Grace. Loud and harsh, but somehow still beautiful. Scanning, she spotted her dad holding on to the side of the flag-draped casket as he and the other pallbearers carried it to the gravesite. Police officers stood at attention along the route. Uncle Robbie's mother and father were here, having flown in from Wisconsin the day before. Other than the cousin, that was it for his family. Robbie's mother reached out for Saya's mother's hand, and they both held on tightly as they walked to the reserved seating under a small tent. Her dad's face was trained straight ahead. He and the other officers, mostly men Saya recognized, placed the long coffin with Uncle Robbie's body in it, next to a waiting grave, just in front of the seats. The honor guard was set up behind it, under the blue sky, with a large bell beside them. When the pallbearers finished with the casket, they moved to stand at attention in a line. The last preacher from the service said a few words, and then an officer began to ring the bell with slow, regular pulls. With each ring, one of the pallbearers saluted, and once they had all saluted, they began to kneel as the rings went on. Saya counted, the ringing like a strike against her heart. Twenty-one times. Finally, the pallbearers rose and saluted once more as the bell stilled. Three men fired long rifles together, three times. Crack, crack, crack. For duty, for honor, for country. And at last, a speaker crackled with static, and then blared with the noise of a radio call. Calling 7531, 7531, a woman said. There was silence, and then the voice spoke again. No response from 7531. 
Officer Robert Powell is unable to respond. The Whitfield Police Department is grateful for Officer Powell's four and a half years of service. On April 10th, at 7.45 p.m., he made the ultimate sacrifice to protect his partner. So ends the watch of Officer Powell, who can rest, knowing we will respond in his stead. Rest in peace, friend. Saya was crying again. Through the blurry veil of her own tears, she saw one shining tear slip down her father's cheek. After the flag was folded and ceremonially presented to Uncle Robbie's mother, and her father was able to be at rest and join them, her mother tried to give him a hug, and her father refused it. He had too much to drink at the potluck and slept all the way on their drive up to Niagara afterward. Her mom thought a weekend trip in nature would help him heal, but as soon as they arrived and checked into the little cabin they had rented near Devil's Hole State Park, he collapsed on the couch. Saya watched from a crack in the door of her bedroom as her mother pulled a fuzzy throw over him. Her expression reflected Saya's own worry. One tear wasn't enough to ease such pain. After they'd made it through the chaos of fleeing Arcadia, the entire group had recognized the unmistakable landmark of Niagara Falls on the map to Sanctuary, the first time they'd had a real clue where they were. It was off to the side of the X that marked the spot, but Inez had stabbed her finger at the falls anyway. That's where we should go. There'll be water there, places to make camp. We shouldn't march into certain death, again. Anyone who wants to stay alive, recover from that horror show. Raise your hands and let's get going. Then she'd thrown the disc with the sanctuary map at Holden, who was just as determined to follow it. Saya had decided to stick with Inez, along with some others. Holden had his own loyalists, and they were willing to gamble on his new plan and forgive him. Saya wasn't angry with him, not exactly, though she hadn't gotten to tell him that. If she was honest with herself, the main reason she'd chosen to stay behind was that Inez would need her. Inez had lost Teddy. So much for her being able to help Inez with that. But she would keep trying. When Saya got back to camp, it seemed oddly peaceful considering the upheaval of the day. The ambient noise of the rushing river, the wind breezing by through the tall trees on the hillside, the high-pitched calls from the strange birds that occasionally swooped down to pluck oversized fish right out of the water, the wide mouth of the big cave where they slept, a makeshift fire pit out front, their remaining supplies from Arcadia hanging from the nearest, lowest tree branches. Inez had to be in the cave because Saya didn't see her. Saya bent as she made her way into the cave. It was only about five feet high, but it went back a considerable way. Sections of the wall were covered with the faint ghosts of graffiti. Every part of her stayed conscious of the necklace in her jeans pocket. Inez sat against the cave wall halfway back, near where she usually slept. She'd gotten the shoe off her injured foot, and her eyes were closed. Stealing herself to be lashed out at again, Saya moved in to assess the ankle situation. Inez didn't open her eyes, but she said, I can't get the sock off. It hurts too much. Okay. Saya crouched next to her and didn't quite manage to hide a gasp at the egg-sized lump visible through the sock on the side of Inez's right ankle. I told you I'm a stupid idiot, Inez said. You're not a stupid idiot. Saya paused. You're a smart idiot. Inez opened her eyes to roll them and almost smiled. 
a small victory. So why did it sting this much? Right, the necklace in her pocket. That was why. This is going to hurt, Saya said. I know. Inez squeezed handfuls of her t-shirt, balling her hands into fists. Her face scrunched up in anticipation of the hurt to come. Saya lifted Inez's foot and pulled back the sock. She placed her foot gingerly onto the rock. Not so bad? Saya asked. I'm still alive. Inez leaned forward to see the damage. Her tone hadn't made it clear whether she thought the alive part was good or bad. Definitely a sprain, Saya said. One of my little cousins was always twisting her ankle back home, Inez said. I'm a pro at wrapping them. I can use the sock. Saya considered offering to do it for her, but stood. All right, best you can do without ice. Inez nodded. Saya? Saya hesitated. Yes? She waited, not wanting to expect Inez to apologize or take back what she'd said, but expecting it anyway. Tough luck. Nothing. I'll be out in a few. We should all talk. I know Jingwei is familiar to you all, but she has a caretaker. And she doesn't even seem to be the same person you knew. We have to be careful. I know. Saya wasn't a stupid idiot either. We all know. Speaking of, Saya made her way out of the cave to see the others returning from the forest. Hiram and Alex were in front, followed by Gabe and May, then Amelia and Sebastian, who were still holding hands. In tacit agreement, everyone settled down on the rocks or the ground around the fire pit. She okay? May asked. No, Saya said and kept herself from reaching into her pocket to touch the necklace. But the sprain's just a sprain. What are we going to do? Hiram asked. His hands were clasped together. We believe her. Jingwei, right? Or... Inez hopped out of the cave and took the nearest open spot on the ground. She still had the claw with her. I'm hurt you started discussing without me. Sorry, Hiram said. How's your ankle? A reminder of this mortal coil? Don't be sorry, Hiram. Gabe this time. Inez, you didn't know her before. It's different for us. May traced a circle in the dirt with her toe. It is, and it isn't. She doesn't know us. She only knows we're humans. As far as we can tell, the last one's on Earth. Do you really think that? Hiram rocked back on his heels. I don't know, May said. Maybe. Amelia leaned back against Sebastian, who sat on a rock. He had a hand in her hair. Glad someone's hooking up, Saya thought. She refused to follow the thought by looking at Inez. Even when Inez spoke next. I don't know what I think anymore. You're all acting like she was perfect before. She couldn't have been. What flaws do I need to know about? She's brilliant, May said. She can make things. Inez sat forward, and Saya realized she looked at her after all. Could she make a robot listen to her? What if this is Jingwei's evil twin? Inez asked. It could be, Hiram said. It's tempting to believe her, and the devil tempts. If she wanted to tempt us, she would have brought back Teddy, Amelia said. Even Alex flinched. Leave him out of this, Inez said. 
We're going in circles again, Zaya said. She thought back. Okay, flaws. Jingwei could definitely get set on things. Like, she wanted to build the shelters when we first got here. If we'd taken off, we might not have been attacked. See, Inez said, it didn't turn out. It turned out okay for her in the end, I guess, May said. She's still alive, sort of, or alive again. She shook her head. But not Wesley. I think we're asking the wrong questions. What reason would she have to hurt us? She's human too, isn't she? That's a question for her, Gabe said. She can talk to the caretakers now. What does that mean? Why would they want to talk to us? Between death or cake, Inez said. I'd guess death. They didn't bring us back to life to kill us, May said. But that still seems to be the result, Inez said. One by one, we're being picked off. Hiram's eyes were big. She's being over the top, Zaya said to him, shooting a don't-scare-the-baby look at Inez. It's okay, hi. Anyway, if there's a chance of cake, Inez asked. Saya shook her head. We should hear Jingwei out, without being defensive, without rejecting what she has to say out of hand. We could use information about why we're here. I'm here to make sure no one else gets killed, Inez said. The words lay heavy between all of them. You can't do that, Gabe said, finally. He added, I don't think any of us can. Cheerful thought, Alex said morosely. Isn't it? Inez asked. Her head dipped, then came back up. I know when I have to bow to the will of the group. I might not like this, but everyone eat something, then we'll go back over. Maybe we can pull the truth out of Jingwei about what she's really doing here. But you all are my first concern. If that murder bot wants to hurt you, I'll do everything I can to take it out. Saya made a mental note that Inez had said she'd protect them from Sparky, not herself. She put up a front of hardness, but she was all about other people. It was dangerous, though. Beating herself up for not saving Teddy meant she couldn't accept what had actually happened. And Inez, not thinking clearly, could threaten them as much as any caretaker. Everyone set about dividing up the dwindling rations and taking some of the berries Sebastian and Amelia had gathered that morning. Saya looked around at Devil's Hole. She told the rest of the group that this was a cave she'd visited on a family vacation. She hadn't felt the need to delve into the circumstances around the family trip or the locale's grim history. But she remembered her mom telling her about the many people who had died here in the long-ago past. British soldiers trying to steal into Seneca territory. They'd paid for it with their lives. They'd been massacred. She only hoped their group wasn't cursed to suffer more grisly death, too. And that Jingwei wasn't either. Saya perched on a coffee table across from where her dad slept on the couch and waited for him to wake up. He was still in his dress uniform from the day before, his gun in his holster. Dad? She whispered. He grumbled, keeping his eyes closed. Saya reached out to carefully tap his shoulder. Her dad jumped up, feet on the floor and his hand on his weapon. Dad, it's me. He blinked at Saya. Honey, I'm, I'm sorry. He winced and sank back to the couch. I didn't mean to scare you. 
It's okay, she said. She extended her hand. Her mom had given her three round magenta ibuprofen tablets and a glass of water to bring him. Mom said you should take these. You'll feel better. Huh, he said, as if there was no way. He accepted the tablets. Dad, she said. Yeah, honey. He gave a thin smile. I, um, guess I fell asleep when we got here. What time is it? She heard Uncle Robbie's reassurance echo in her head. I won't let anything scary happen. But she was scared. For her dad. Eleven? Mom said to let you sleep. That you needed it. He started to stand up again, but Saya moved over to sit beside him on the couch. She put her hand on his arm. That pounding of her heart got louder in her ears, but she spoke over it. I was there too. I know, honey, he said. I'll never forget. I wish I could have kept you from seeing it, from being there. You shouldn't have had to watch Uncle Robbie. It shouldn't have happened. I should have protected him. This was new. Of all the things she'd overheard in the past few days, this was one she hadn't heard before. But it was one she'd begun to suspect. You mean you don't think he should have dived in front of the bullet? Saya asked slowly. Her dad's eyes were dry. Still. I was the senior partner. I should have seen what was happening and taken care of it. He should still be here. That's on me. It was almost like he was saying it to himself, not to her. Then he seemed to visibly remember she was there. He gave her a small, phony smile. You shouldn't be worried about this, though. It was a nice service yesterday, right? It was, she said. But you're wrong. He gave her a long look. About what? About that night. About what happened. She had never talked to her dad like this. Her heart drummed, but she went on. She felt brave. About Uncle Robbie. He frowned at her. How do you mean? I mean that we were his family. Here, anyway. He didn't really have anyone else. He did it to save us. He meant to do it. Her dad shook his head. He shouldn't have had to. Dad, you always say anything can happen out there, right? That the job is unpredictable. You say justice is necessary. And while peace is what you bring, it's not always what you find. She remembered writing that down in her report notes, right before he turned on the sirens that night. Her teacher had told her she didn't have to do the assignment, after what happened. I think... I think Uncle Robbie knew exactly what he was doing. It doesn't make it less sad. A tear slipped down her dad's cheek as she talked. He kept watching her, blinking. It will always be sad, but we should let it mean what he would have wanted it to, shouldn't we? He told me nothing scary would happen, and that part was a lie. It was scary, seeing what happened, losing him. But it was his choice. His decision. He did the heroic thing because he wanted to. Her dad continued to blink, and more tears came now. He pulled her in for a hug, and she could feel his shoulders shaking. He was a brave idiot, your Uncle Robbie, he said. 
So I guess that means you're right. You're a pretty smart girl, Saya, my love. That night, he slept in the same room with her mother for the first time since the accident. The silence in the cabin felt fragile, and she knew when they got home that the chair Uncle Robbie used to take at the table would always feel empty. But she also knew their house would feel like a home again. Welcoming. Like family. The group set out together to go visit Jingwei's camp with enough time to get back to the cave before dark. Of course, everyone had been on high alert all afternoon, and night watch would be no joke. They were aware that Sparky and Jingwei might ambush them. But Seiya prayed that maybe, maybe talking to Jingwei would make matters better instead of worse. Seiya was confident that the only way that could be true would be if Inez was willing to hear Jingwei out. So, with one hand on the necklace still in her pocket, Saya reached with her other to tug on Inez's shirt. Inez, who was using her weapon as a walking stick. Can I talk to you? Gabe heard her question and turned to catch her eye. She waved him off. We'll catch up in a minute. She needs to walk slower anyway. I do not, Mom, Inez said. I'm not your mom. Saya twinged at the thought of her own mom. She wondered what Inez's had been like. Hopefully, they'd someday be back on terms where she could ask her. Someday soon. It's not like I can run away at the moment, Inez said, her voice low. The rest of the group continued on and could still be seen ahead as Inez and Saya navigated the trees. Branches brushed against Saya's arms and legs as she and Inez started to walk again. Inez? Saya said, putting on a brave face like she had with her dad after Uncle Robbie had died. Inez's eyes were shiny when she looked over, but it was all anger. I don't want your pity, Inez said. Her voice shook. Um, I've never offered it, Saya said, fighting to keep her own voice steady. I don't feel sorry for you. I mean, other than how I feel sorry for all of us. Teddy was probably the best off of us all. If what you said is true, he didn't even think this was real. Inez had gone still. He thought that because I didn't convince him otherwise. Don't you understand? He only did what he did because I let him believe a lie. Bingo. Saya had guessed that this was the root of Inez's pain. And now that she'd found it, she held on to the piece of faulty logic and pulled. Inez? Saya said, taking a slow step and watching as Inez did the same. Do you really think you could have convinced him? This wasn't nearly as scary as sitting next to her dad at 12, being afraid she'd lost him. But in some ways, it was more so. They were trapped here, and she didn't want to be alone. She didn't want any of them to be here alone. She didn't know how Jingwei fit in, or if she would, but the group was becoming a family. A real pain-in-the-ass one. Saya might be the only one who saw it that way, but she believed it. Now she just had to make Inez believe it, too. Even if you had convinced him, Saya continued, he wouldn't have done things differently. He loved you. He called you the best part of him. Inez blinked at her. Her next words were softer. How, how do you know that? He told me that once. He told me I was his gift to you, 
Saya said, and she couldn't keep from smiling at the memory. I didn't know what that meant at the time. It was just weird. I thought maybe he was goofing around. I said maybe you were a gift to me in that case. I wanted to see how he'd react. You know what he said? Inez shook her head. What? He said for me to let him have his illusions. That he liked thinking about you being happy because of him. Inez put down her prized weapon, the long, shiny metal arm, at the ground by her feet. When she straightened, wobbling a little, she turned and put her hands on Saya's shoulders and looked straight in her eyes. You're not making that up? I would never do that. Saya reached out and brushed a strand of hair off Inez's cheek. It's the truth. He gave his life for yours. For ours. You can't stop someone who wants to make that sacrifice, and it's not your place to. You'd have done the same for him. It was Teddy's choice. Saya swallowed. His decision. You have to respect that. Let him die a hero like he wanted. Inez took a shuddering breath. Her lips parted, and then she collapsed forward into Saya with a single wrenching sob. Saya curled her arms around Inez and let her cry, as she kept an eye on the woods around them. They needed to get going, catch up to the rest of the group, but she refused to rush this. Finally, Inez pushed back and took a deep inhale to clear her nose. There's no time for this. We have to catch up to the others, in case anything happens, she said. We have the best weapon. All right, Saya agreed. But you're going to hear Jingwei out. Yes, Inez said. She squeezed Saya's hand in hers. Okay, but I'm always going to protect my family, too. And yourself? Inez gave her a crooked grin. Saya felt it in her heart. I'll do my best. Inez said, but I know you've got my back. Inez released Saya's hands and picked up the caretaker arm, then reached out for Saya to steady herself. Um, you know, before, when I gave back the necklace, she said. I'm sorry. Her cheeks were flushed from the tears, and maybe from embarrassment. Close your eyes, Saya said. We don't have time. Two seconds, we'll hurry. You can lean on me. Two seconds. Inez closed her eyes. Saya reached into her pocket and pulled out the necklace. She slowly reached around Inez's neck and latched the clasp, her fingers brushing against skin. Inez's eyes popped open again. Saya froze in place. Their gazes held for a long moment. Her fingers, where they still touched Inez's skin, felt like a matchstick striking hot as flame. Saya wanted to lean forward. She wanted Inez to lean forward. She wanted to kiss her again, or to be kissed, or both. She wanted them kissing each other, again, now. Inez exhaled and shook her head. We have to go. I know, Saya said with regret, finally dropping her hand. She looped her arm under Inez's left one, they made faster progress now that Inez was willing to accept Saya's support and still using the caretaker arm as a makeshift walking stick on her other side. The rest of their friends had stopped to wait before they made it into Jingwei's camp proper. Good, Gabe said, 
You're here. May looked the two of them up and down. She nodded to Inez, no doubt taking in her red-rimmed eyes, and touched her shoulder. We're all on the same side. You know that, right? Inez gave May a tentative smile. I was reminded. She found Hiram, lingering close to Gabe. Sorry if I've been freaking you out, hi. Hiram blushed and nodded. I miss him too, he mumbled. I know, Inez said, and there was no anger left in it. Everyone ready? Saya asked. Amelia snort laughed in a humorless way. Not really, but do we have a choice? Let's go then, Inez said. Gabe stepped aside to let her and Inez walk in front, which Saya thought was a sweet gesture on his part. Inez was still Inez after all. If they had to walk into danger, she'd always want to be the one to face it first. Saya noticed that Inez gripped her weapon tighter. Her limp was subtler now, and Saya suspected it was because she didn't want to look weak in front of Jingwei and Sparky. When they stepped through the brush into Jingwei's hillside camp, they found Jingwei and Sparky waiting beside a small fire. The smell of cooking fish rose in the air. The scene was cozy. That is, Saya thought, if the sight of a girl hanging out with a killer robot didn't terrify you. It did terrify Saya. It proved even more unsettling than their first encounter had been. This was domestic. If Jingwei was wrong about Sparky's motives, even if she was still good, how would they ever convince her of that? When she was used to sitting around a fire, making food together, a girl and her robot friend? Jingwei looked up and then stood. Sparky moved a big rock from the center of the fire with one long claw and zero effort, and Saya's breath came a little shallower. He's just making sure my dinner doesn't burn, Jingwei said. Not that he really understands food. Most of what they fed me were gross protein bars. She made a face. I wasn't sure if you guys would take off or come back. Anyway, I made a fishing spear. She pointed to where it lay by the fire. Inez's hand flexed on the caretaker arm. Because Jingwei's casual manner didn't make this any less scary to grapple with. Their group made a kind of half circle around her. And Saya knew she wasn't the only one doing the math on their chances if the caretaker came at them. If this was some kind of trap. Well, Inez said, I don't see any reason to stand here discussing fishing strategies. Why'd they bring you back? They must have told you. May stepped forward, stopping next to Inez. Jingwei, can you tell us anything helpful? We want to trust you. Jingwei squinted. Sparky stood motionless behind her. I think so, she said. She took a deep breath. I think, I think they brought us back because we have a job to do. What? Inez asked. There's something that needs doing, Jingwei said. And we have to do it. Remade is a Realm original production. You're listening to Remade Season 2 by Gwenda Bond. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey. 
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Remade is a Realm original production. Created by Matthew Cody and written by Matthew Cody, Andrea Phillips, E.C. Myers, Gwenda Bond, and Amy Rose Capetta. Produced by Lydia Shama and executive produced by Julian Yap and Molly Barton. Starring Greg Tremblay and Laurel Schroeder. Audio directed, produced, and sound designed by Amanda Rose Smith. Additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme composed by Amanda Rose Smith. Cover art by Liz Castle. Find more shows like Remade by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.